Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Peter's humbled, he's broken, he's humiliated, he's devastated, as he believed himself, but didn't believe Jesus' words. Peter had to fail, not because Jesus was mad at him or angry with him, but because Peter had to be humble so Jesus could use him. Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Gethsemane. We're in Mark 14 and we'll start up today in verse 46. We're looking at Jesus' arrest and we're going to go all the way through Peter's denial at the end of the chapter. So let's listen in. He kisses Jesus and it says they laid their hands on him and took him and one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Luke 22 says one of them or some of them said, should we strike with the sword? Matthew doesn't tell us who did it. Mark doesn't tell us who did it. Luke doesn't tell us who did it. But John, who writes much later when naming names wouldn't be any danger, he says, and who's surprised by this? It was Peter. Of course it was Peter. Someone says, shall we strike with the sword? And while Jesus is saying, no, Peter's already gone. He's got his sword out. He's taken on the high priest servant who is most likely going the other direction at this point. Why? Because we know he cuts off his right ear. Most people in those days were right-handed. And so can't say, you know, thus says the Lord on this, but it's likely that, that as he's looking for someone to take on, well, that guy's got a club and that guy's, you know, got his thing. And well, that high priest servant looks like someone I could take. And so he's got his sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest servant. Later, by the way, because Jesus heals the ear. It's the last recorded miracle, pre-resurrection miracle of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And there are implications of it that if you're Peter are very important. Like if it goes to court, they're going to say, what's the charge? And you're going to say, well, he cut off my servant's ear and the judge is going to look and everything looks fine. Important to Peter and important to us because some of us, truth be told, have lopped an ear or two off in our day. Oh, not with the sword, not with the sword of the spirit, although some couples do have scripture wars. Um, you Bible says you're supposed to love me as Christ loved the church. And the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. And uh, anyway, if that's you guys, you really should uh, get with Cameron and, and Andrea and, or get with Bob and, and Darce and get with somebody who can walk through you with that. Pam and I would do it, but we're one of the couples who need to talk to them. So anyway, anyway um, so he's, he cuts off the high priest servant ear. And, uh, and of course, Peter, he just, he's so impulsive. And, and this is a chance as well to prove himself. Remember, he said, they may all run, they may all go, but I'll be there. I'll be there for you, Lord. I'll be there and protect you. And of course, that's not what happens. Jesus answered and said, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? Verse 49, I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. He says the scriptures must be fulfilled. If they were paying close attention, they might have asked the question, which scriptures is he referring to? 
because everything that's going down had been prophesied just as it takes place. Only hours earlier, Jesus said, you're all going to forsake me for it is written. The shepherd will be smitten and the sheep will be scattered. Peter said, no way, Lord. And of course, that's exactly what happens here. They all forsook him and fled. Now all here, and we've learned that all means all, but all used to mean 12. Now it means 11. Why? Judas is no longer with them. He's with the enemy. He's with those arresting Jesus. He's with those who struck the deal for money to betray his Lord. Now a certain young man followed him, verse 51, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. The young men laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now I have to say of all the verses in scripture and there are some that seem very confusing, this one's straight up. You can read it and understand every word of it, but I can't for the life of me understand why it's here in this passage. And the only thing I can think, because people have a lot of ideas and opinions about it, I don't really want to get into the fray on that. I, I, I have had an experience that any of you in a position where you counsel or, or pray for or minister to people, you've experienced it, where someone comes and says, hey, I have this friend and, you know, he's kind of going through this thing and, and this is happening and that's happening. And it takes about two minutes for you to realize, even if you have no discernment at all, this friend is invisible. This guy is talking about himself. And I can only think that, that while I can't know, it's possible that Mark has inserted himself into the story and then if that is the case, since he gets his information, by the way, from Peter, I'm thinking of all the things you could tell people that ever happened to you, would you pick this one? <laughs> anyway, Jesus' first trial in the garden ends with his arrest. But the trials are just beginning. He will face six trials after this. So that makes a perfect seven. But his first trial was there and, and, and listen, he passed this one with flying colors. He, he, you could not have done better than he did because he said, if there's any other way, let's, let's go that way, Father. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's how you win, by the way, in a spiritual battle. You pray and you submit. And once it's like, Father, whatever you will, the enemy has no hold on you. So this trial ends with his arrest. Now he faces six more trials, three religious trials and three civil trials. He'll be before Annas first. He was the former high priest. For whatever reason, the Romans decided, you know, we don't want him in that position. So they put his son-in-law Caiaphas in the position. Unlikely that Annas would cause any trouble or uproar, knowing that it's his own family now in that position position. But then we have Annas, then we have Caiaphas, then we have the Sanhedrin, and we're going to look at that particular trial in a moment. Then there are three civil trials. First will be before Pilate, then he'll be sent to Herod, then he returns to Pilate, and then he heads to the cross. Then they led Jesus away, verse 53, to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Listen, as Jesus stands before 
um, Caiaphas and the religious leaders, they think he's on trial. They're actually on trial before him. And when people read the Bible, then they say, you know, I just don't see or I just don't think or in my opinion, my humble opinion, they say, listen, the Bible sits in judgment on us. We don't judge it. We don't try to decide what's true and not true in it. It's true. Sanctify them by your word. Jesus prayed in that high priestly prayer I mentioned in the introduction. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. So as they gather here, the religious leaders are on trial. Peter is about to face one himself. But the chief priest and all the council, verse 55, sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. So their desire, their plan, their plot is revealed again. But they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Now, the law required that everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. That's why they needed the witnesses to agree, but they couldn't get two liars to tell the same lie. And of course, there's always a problem with lying. If you aren't aware, if you have young ones, you want to make sure they know, listen, if you tell a lie, you're going to have to tell another lie later to cover up that lie. Or better, just repent and don't tell any more lies. But one lie leads to another, to another, and another, and eventually it becomes impossible to keep track of all the lies one's told. So here they have these people. They're professional liars. I, I say professional because they would have gotten paid to do it. That's what a professional is. Now they knew better. The ninth commandment in the Ten Commandments says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. False witness, that's what they're looking for, false witnesses. Many bore false witness, we just read, against him. Proverbs 6.16 says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, these seven are an abomination. Oh, the seven is like that. Are an abomination to him. Let me read it to you. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Some of them were guilty of all seven. And I could walk you through it and show you how, but you can just read it for yourself. Make the list, and then you'll find as you go through these things happening. Then some rose up, verse 57, and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even did their testimony agree. They're misquoting him. They're mangling his words. Earlier, they questioned his authority. This was the first time he cleansed the temple. He does it at the beginning of his ministry. He does it right prior to this whole scene. But this goes all the way back to the beginning. And when they question his authority, by what authority are you doing these things? Jesus said, what sign are they? They said, what sign do you show us since you are doing these things? Jesus answered saying, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews said, it's been 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, 
When he'd risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he'd said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. The high priest, verse 60, excuse me, stood up in the midst and asked Jesus saying, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. At this point, the things he says and the things he doesn't say are fulfilling prophecy. The things he does and the things he doesn't do are fulfilling prophecy. All these things, it's all coming to a head. The Old Testament prophecies, and there are so many that point us to the event that's right before us. I want to say, if you're unfamiliar, there are two passages you have to familiarize yourself with. And one is Isaiah 53. The other is Psalm 22. If you will read through those, I encourage you to do it tonight or do it early in the morning if you're a morning person. And and I remember the first time Pam and I ever, we were in bed, we were reading the word together, we read Psalm 22. I couldn't get through it. I was weeping so much. And I want to say Isaiah 53 Psalm 22, they give so many details that in this study and even more in the next study or two are are going to be fulfilled. So many prophecies that come to pass. I'll give you just one. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. His mouth, his silence was the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7. Again, Isaiah 53, read it and familiarize yourself with it. Psalm 22, read it and familiarize yourself with it. It will be oh so important when we get to the crucifixion. Latter part of verse 60, again, the high priest asked him saying to him and note the questions carefully. Are you the Christ? They were expecting the Christ. That's why he came to them. No other nation had God's law. No other nation had God's temple. No other nation had a promise of the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Are you the Christ? And then note this second question, the son of the blessed? You know, Islam says God does not have a son. There are a lot of things that they get from the Bible, but that is one that they miss. They have their own literature. They have their own book. But what I'm saying is this is sort of key and and foundational. God says he does have a son. and, And of course, it's not just Islam. There are many who say, well, we believe that Jesus is, uh, you know, the son of God, but we don't believe he's God the son. Why? Because they can't put together, they can't reason out how God himself could die and still be God. But just because we can't understand it doesn't mean we can disregard it. When he prayed, Father, Abba, Father, he's praying to the Father. He is God the Son and he's the Son of God. And Jesus answer, I am. He invokes the name that Moses was given by God when he said, hey, when I go, what if they don't believe me? Who shall I say sent me? He said, tell them I am sent you. In John's gospel, when we get there, and many of you have studied through it, 
I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door to the sheepfold. The, again and again and again, Jesus says, I am. And then he says, well, we know those things he cites only God can do. Well, at this point, he's just, um, he, he's saying, are you? And Jesus is saying, I am. And then you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power. I like it. He calls him the blessed. Jesus calls him the power. But when he speaks to him, he doesn't say, oh, power. He says, father. And that's important to us right now. You'll see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power. Where is Jesus right now? You know, we pray Jesus come into my heart. But that actually happens in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father as he said he would be making intercession for us. He says, you're going to see that. And then coming on the clouds or coming with the clouds of heaven. So he speaks to his deity when he asks that question. He speaks to the fact that he is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Proverbs 30, verse 4 asks a question. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? Listen. And what is his son's name? If you know. The high priest tore his clothes, verse 63, and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is the blasphemy? He's claiming to be one with the Father. He's claiming to be the Son of the Father. He's claiming to be the only begotten of the Father, the Christ, the Son of the blessed. And if he were not who he claimed to be, he would be guilty of blasphemy, capital crime under their law, and he would have been punished by stoning but he's not guilty. He's the only innocent man. And he would not be taken out by stoning. Neither could they throw him off the hill back in Nazareth as he shared from the word. And they got upset about his references to Gentiles and they tried to push him off a cliff. They couldn't do it. He just walked through because he, the Bible didn't say he was going to die by you know, falling off a cliff or being pushed off a cliff. It didn't say he'd be killed by stoning. It, it said he would die on the cross for our sins. Well, what ne further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him to be deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Again, Isaiah 53 Psalm 22, if you are not familiar, you will be blown away when you read those passages. Well, Jesus' first religious trial has taken place. He'll be headed, well, this actually the third. They, we don't have all three here. But uh, next time we'll be looking at his civil trials. But, but, but Peter's in a bit of a pickle himself. And, and we see it, it's here and we'll conclude with it. It concludes the chapter, Mark 14, 66. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. 
I'm thinking she had to be there. And she recognizes him because he is the guy that cut off one of her friends who also was a servant of the high priest here. You're going to remember that face. But she comes and says, you were with him. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. He went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. The servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. I'm wondering if his heart wasn't pounding, if his mind wasn't just going because Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And he's up to two. A little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you were one of them for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. They said, we know you're not from around here. We can hear your Southern Cal accent. So, so you know, he denies it and he denies it and he denies it. He began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Second time the rooster crowed, Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Peter's humbled. He's broken. He's humiliated. He's devastated as he believed himself, but didn't believe Jesus' words. He had three chances here to prove himself strong and Jesus wrong. And he failed in all three opportunities. It's important to say, and I mentioned it last time, I want to make sure that I remind you today that Peter had to fail, not because Jesus was mad at him or angry with him, but because Peter had to be humble so Jesus could use him. He wasn't through with him. He wasn't like, okay, that's it. That you, that's the line you've cursed. You've, you've denied me three times. We're done. If it were us, he would have never got to the second time. He denies him three times because that's what Jesus said was going to happen. Did Jesus force the issue? He didn't have to. He knows Peter and he knows you. He knows us. Listen, Jesus only had two types of disciples. He had 11 failures and one traitor. And I want to say, if you're in the failure category, that's the good group. That's the winners. And if you're like, yeah, but I hate failing. Who doesn't? But they failed only to repent, only to find forgiveness, only to be restored, only to be empowered, and only to be used mightily by their Lord. So if you failed, make sure you repent today. Make sure you ask forgiveness. You don't have to, to say, I can't believe I did it. He knows you're going to fail. You're only finding out what he always knew to be true about you. We're not better than one another. We're not head and tails above, above any other believer. We're just his followers whose hearts are to do good and often we fail to do that. There was one traitor, one betrayer, Judas. It's a sobering warning and we concluded last time with the same warning because we know Judas never repented. Jesus said of Judas, he went to his own place. Not to the Father's house where we will someday stand before the Lord. Join that glorious chorus that's already singing today. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I have never thought of Peter in terms of being ashamed of Jesus. 
He was ashamed certainly of himself for his denial, but not of Jesus. However, look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Peter was afraid of what would happen to him if he did not deny Jesus. And we likewise can be afraid of what will happen to us if we step out and proclaim Jesus as our savior. Yet Paul invites Timothy and us as well to join him in his sufferings for the gospel. Now, if you struggle with this and still find yourself ashamed due to your fears, keep in mind what Paul said just before that in verse seven, where it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you struggle with a spirit of fear, know this, it's not from the Lord. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.